Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I'm so excited to have Wendy Hernandez from Command the Courtroom on today's episode. Before we get to that, summer. Ah, you know, you feel like maybe you'll get a break from the abuse or from the traumatic experiences, but I have found that summer is super traumatic and that so many times on car rides or trips or, you know, just where you think, oh, things are going to be good. They do not go well at all. And that is why we created Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group just in general for these types of events that not only happen in the summer, but they happen on holidays. They happen over Christmas break. They happen all the time. Most of the time, your typical therapist, number one, doesn't understand this type of abuse. And number two, they're weeks out or they take the week off or something for a holiday or for the summer. Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is here for you. We have multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. We recently had some new coaches join our team. We're so excited to have them. So to check out the session schedule, go to btr.org and we'd love to see you in a session today. Thank you to those of you who've given this podcast a five-star rating. Every single rating and review that you add to Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps helps isolated women find us. It helps the algorithm. When I'm looking at things and it's something like connection is the solution to abuse. And so then the victims just try to connect more with their abuser or other ways of getting victims to misunderstand their situation. I don't want victims to find that. I want them to find BTR so that they know what they're looking at. They can get to emotional safety. It's just so important that they find BTR first and that they understand abuse before they go down any other road, before they go down the pornography addiction recovery road, before they even consider couple therapy. They need to really be versed and educated about abuse. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for reviewing this. It helps those women get the education that they need. Okay, now to my episode with Wendy Hernandez. I have Wendy Hernandez on today's episode. She runs the YouTube channel and the website, Command the Courtroom, that you can find at commandthecourtroom.com. She is a source of super, super important information for women who are divorcing, in our case, abusers or narcissists, but just she's an excellent resource for family law. She is a Phoenix family law attorney, divorce coach, and founder of the Hernandez family law firm. And also, like I said before, creator of Command the Courtroom. She has tried over a thousand cases during her 20 years as a litigator. And Wendy is a courtroom warrior who has tackled every type of family law matter from divorce to child custody to everything in between. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you, Anne. It's wonderful to be here. So, so many of our listeners are just finding out about their husband's abuse or their husband's pornography use or this double life. And they're just starting to wrap their head around the fact that they might be in an abusive relationship. So we have that sort of segment of listeners. Then we have a segment of listeners who didn't realize that their husband was abusive or that perhaps he was exhibiting narcissistic traits or narcissistic behaviors. And now that they're looking back on their marriage that might be post-divorce, for example, they're like, whoa, I didn't realize that all the stuff that happened to me is under the umbrella of abuse. Those women, when it comes to the law, are most concerned about upcoming custody issues that have happened since the divorce. Let's first talk to that first demographic of women who are just kind of coming out of the fog of abuse. They're realizing, whoa, this is the situation that I'm in. They're maybe starting to think about divorce. 
Maybe some of them are thinking, can I stay in this marriage? How am I going to do this? To those women, what types of things would you tell them that they need to know long before they even file for divorce? Like what types of things are important for them as they're considering, hmm, am I going to take this step toward divorce? Yes. So I think first and foremost, you have to think about your safety and the safety of your children. And I know a lot of women feel guilty about leaving marriages for spiritual reasons, or just maybe they were, you know, raised in a household where they were motivated by guilt. Um, and I would say, don't let guilt be your primary motivator in this situation, because really, what is at risk is your life and the lives of your children if you have children. So first and foremost, for sharing with people when they're in these relationships that are really life-threatening, you know, and could potentially be not only life-threatening, but soul-crushing. So get past the guilt. If you are in danger, get out or start preparing to get out. I wouldn't say get out until you've put some thought into it until you have a plan in place, until you have some safe people that you can rely upon, you know, to help you get through this because you are going to need the support. So that's just from an emotional standpoint. Women I see are motivated by guilt, spiritual guilt. I mean, as a result, they end up staying in these relationships that are not emotionally safe for them. And then of course, not safe for the children because the children see what's going on. And when the children see what's going on, then, you know, it has the potential to create this cycle that you don't want to perpetuate. So first and foremost, use Anne and the resources that she has available to determine whether you're safe or not. And if you make a determination that either you're not safe or that your children are not safe, then it's time to leave. It's important, and I don't know in many situations where there hasn't been the physical abuse, if the emotional abuse has been documented, if it has not, then your testimony can be evidence. And I, so, you know, and I want to share a story about a, a client, a potential client that I met with last week virtually. And she had gone through a divorce and she just wanted to get through the divorce. And her attorney at the time really pressured her. Let's just get through this. There's no documentation. You know, so you can't say that any sort of abuse occurred in the relationship, which was totally wrong. So what she did in her case was she made certain avowals to the court in the final paperwork. And one of the avowals was there had not been abuse in the relationship. And as a result, she agreed to joint custody of her children with the husband. So fast forward about a year later, and the abuse is getting worse with this woman. It's affecting the children. He's starting to direct it towards the children. And now she wants to say, yes, there was abuse during the marriage. But the problem is, is that she actually put in writing and signed in front of a notary a document which said there was no abuse at all. That's really interesting because it sounds like it, that was actually manipulated on purpose to protect the abuser from this thing happening in the future. Who would make their person do that if they hadn't been abusive? Do you know what I'm saying? I agree 100%, Anna. And I was horrified because I feel like the system failed this lady 
as well as her own attorney. And I don't know if it matters or not. Her attorney was a man, but essentially he encouraged her to sweep the abuse under the rug. So now if she gets in front of the court and she says, yes, judge, there was abuse during the marriage, the judge is going to say, well, I'm looking at this document where you signed it under oath and said there wasn't, and that that's going to affect her credibility. So top of being honest with yourself about whether an emotionally abusive relationship, you have to have the power and the strength and the resolve to stand up and, and say to the court, there was abuse, even if other people are trying to talk you out of it. You have to be honest. You know, you really have to be in alignment with what you know to be the truth. That may mean that you have to stand up to people that you think are actually on your side. I want to take a break to talk about my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama, which is a picture book for adults. This type of abuse is so hard for people to understand. And, you know, most people don't have the time or they don't really want to read. Why does he do that? You have no excuse, my listeners. You need to read The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. And Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft. When it comes to like clergy or friends or family, they may or may not read it. Hopefully they will, your support people. But if they don't, Trauma Mama Husband Drama is a really short picture book that they can get through really quickly to help them understand what is happening. To pick that up, go to our books page, btr.org forward slash books. That books page has a curated list of all the books that we recommend here at BTR. You can also just go directly to Amazon because our books page does go directly to Amazon and find it there. When you buy the book, please circle back to Amazon and leave us a five-star review. Same thing there. Every single review helps isolated women find us. And even if they don't purchase the book, they can find this free podcast. Okay, now back to our interview. There's a woman in my community whose attorney said, well, the court doesn't take that into account. You can never prove that. So let's just leave that out of it. And she was like, okay. So in the original divorce decree, there was just no mention of it. It wasn't a factor in the divorce. It wasn't a factor in making any decisions. And now she is faced with more problems because it wasn't addressed originally. And a lot of victims I see are like, they just want the divorce to go smoothly or they want things to go okay. And their abusers sort of like, well, if you don't bring this up or they kind of are intimidated into like drop it or it's going to be worse for you. Do you see that happening quite a bit? All the time, all the time. Oftentimes the emotional abuse is in the form of legal abuse and financial abuse. Once a divorce has gotten started And so, you know, the abuser says, you know, if you persist in telling this quote story, you know, then basically I'm going to bleed you dry financially. So it also can turn into a type of scorched earth litigation where, you know, it goes on for not just months, but years and everything is destroyed in the process. So, you know, it is a balance. It is a balance because there's an investment. There's an emotional investment and financial investment, especially if somebody has an attorney with standing up for herself. But there's also this component of sacrificing or compromising what you know to be true if you give up. And it's always a balance. So whoever's going through this, they have to evaluate what makes sense for them. Because if everything's destroyed, you know, if all the bank accounts are destroyed or you lose your friends and family, which sometimes can happen with emotional abusers because they tend to get into the heads of people we love 
and convince the friends and family that the victim is actually the crazy one. So it's a balance and figure out what works best for you. And it's hard for me to tell people how to navigate that without knowing the circumstances of each individual case, but you just got to be aware of what can happen. Absolutely. Let's talk about the injustices of that situation. So, so many victims are just horrified when they find out that the reality is that they might need to compromise with their abuser. And I just want to say out loud and acknowledge to everyone that that is not fair and it's not okay, and it should not be the case. But because it is the case, can we talk about how victims can perhaps maybe reframe it or help them to understand it so they don't get so triggered and frustrated that basically society or the justice system or anything like that cares about them or cares about victims? Because I think when victims realize that, it's really, really devastating and sometimes can really just push them over the edge. Like, I'm never going to get help. No one's ever going to help me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think that the judiciary needs a lot of education, especially when it comes to emotional abuse. I believe and you probably agree that it is least recognized form of abuse that there is. Usually judges only sit up and take notice when there's physical abuse and when there's doctor's reports and things like that. There's this saying I like to tell my clients, and that is, do you want to be right or do you want to be done? And again, you have to find that balance between the truth and moving on with your life because I feel like true healing begins when you can do this separation, initial separation, if it's a divorce or a legal or physical separation from the abuser, and then really kind of less burdened and more able to get on with the healing. The longer though that you're enmeshed in this litigation, you're just embroiled in it and it's hard to move on. It's hard to heal when constantly getting messages from an attorney or from your ex about whatever legal matters are pending or when you're having to go to court. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for healing. And I feel like when somebody can throw off the shackles of abusive relationship, they really can fly. Um, they can become more than they've ever imagined. I believe that their potential is unlimited, but while that oppressor is still involved in every aspect of their life and still controlling them, it's hard to get to that place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I really feel like healing cannot happen until they have made their way out of the constant abuse. Let's talk about post-separation abuse for a little bit and how that affects women. So they can separate, they can start to heal, but then there is such a thing as post-separation abuse that people don't really understand. Also, I think a lot of people, when they think they're being so, I know what to do, I'll help this victim get out of this abusive marriage and then everything will be fine. So then she'll be okay. And they don't realize that divorce does not solve abuse. In fact, sometimes it can escalate the abuse through either legal abuse, like abusing the ex through the kids or other things. So a lot of women are horrified. They think, oh, he's a good guy. He's been okay. I think the divorce will go okay. Then it gets worse during the divorce. And then it's even worse after the divorce. So can you talk about post-separation abuse, maybe some legal things that can help women avoid that scenario? So I think the first thing, and it's fairly common sense, but a lot of people forget about it. So it bears repeating here. And that is, if you can, keep all of your communications in writing with the abusive acts. Because 
where you may not have had those communications prior to the divorce, post-divorce or post-separation, there's no reason why you can't communicate in writing and there's really no reason why you shouldn't be. I mean, you should be for your own protection and for the protection of your kids. And the abuser is going to try to bend the rules, get the survivor to flex, get the survivor to do what he wants and use the children as pawns in this game. And so having those communications and keeping the communications professional and to the point and centered on the children is going to be really important when you end up in court again. And I say when, because it's probably going to happen if you're dealing with an abuser. So the documentation is key. There's certain programs that are available. I don't know if, if any of the listeners have heard of them. One's called Our Family Wizard. Another one's called Custody Exchange. And these programs help keep track of the communications that are happening. And if you need to, you can sort them and do different things with them. A judge can even access the communications if the judge wants to, to look at what's been going on between the parties. So where somebody may not have had documentation prior to a divorce or separation, they can have plenty of documentation for future litigation down the road. And I've had many clients who've been victims of abuse who have used those post-separation communications with the other party to gain an advantage in a post-divorce lawsuit regarding custody of the children. So documentation is key. And if possible, you know, I would avoid verbal communication, verbal contact with the abuser because they will make promises that they will not keep. They will say things were said that were not said. And as you know, because they are so charming and they're so convincing, there are many cases where the judge believes them. So just keep it in writing. That's my best advice. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So many women who have implemented sort of a, a no contact or have implemented just written communication, their abuser will continue after the fact to say things like, the emails sound so nice and they sound so conciliatory. And they're like, hey, you know, I'm sure if we could just get together and talk about this, we can work it out. We call this grooming or hoovering because then they can hook the victim back in in a place where it's not recorded and then he can say all kinds of stuff to her. But I mean, he might be really careful in written communications. Can you talk about this scenario where they kind of get groomed through written communication? to try and drop their guard in order to talk to them in person and how you've seen this maybe backfire with some victims? Yes. Well, I think that we are raising awareness to this right now that it happens all the time. And so I would say to the victim, survivor out there, do not drop your guard. You know this person and you know how they can flip, you know how they can turn and they're not going to change after the divorce is over. So don't let down your guard and you have to maintain your resolve. Um, and, you know, keep those communications in writing. The only time that I would say that you shouldn't be doing that is if there's some emergency related to the children, meaning the kid is seriously injured or possibly with respect to I'm running late for an exchange. But other than that, I don't see any reason why all communication should not be in writing. And I would never let down the guard. The abuser could go a couple of years and not do anything offensive. You let down your guard and then boom, they smack you. So the victims out there, they know their abusers, they've been with them. And just, it's important to you and to your children not to let down the guard and keep it all in writing because it does backfire. 
How do the courts see that scenario? So for example, if an abuser said, hey, I've been trying to talk to her, I keep sending her these emails, and then he shows the judge the emails, and in the emails he's like, why can't we talk? Why can't we work it out? You know, da-da-da, she won't, whatever. How do the judges see those types of communications? So I think that judges have a problem when a person is not responding at all. And I would say never do that. Never just not respond, especially the abuser is is emailing and say, hey, you know, there's this issue going on with the kids and let's try to work it out. Always respond to those. I've seen people get into trouble where they completely shut down. That's normal. It happens. You know, you have PTSD and there are ways that you can respond without having to respond. We've talked about that, Anne, in the past. But so just don't not respond because that's where you get into trouble. And I've had somebody lose custody of their children before because the judge said, listen, you know, people share joint custody when they're able to co-parent, but you're not responding. So that tells me that you cannot co-parent. Therefore, I'm giving custody to the abuser. So respond always, keep the response short. We know that the abuser is going to go on and on and on for pages about whatever the issues are. And if you can distill it down to what the real issues are and just respond very short and succinctly and keep it on point, but don't just ignore communications. Um, you know, and Anne, I don't know if you want to talk about how we discussed when you were on the command the courtroom show about having a third party help with responding Yeah, let's talk about that now and how the courts see that. So I have told my listeners repeatedly over the years, like no contact is great if you can get a third party to filter the information so that you can be shielded from the abuse and they can just take out pertinent information that you can respond with so that you don't, you're not triggered as much and it really helps your healing. How do the courts see that type of communication if someone tries to do no contact through a third party? You know, I don't know that I've ever had a court say that they had a problem with it. Frankly, I don't know that people do that too often because they don't know that they can. Again, I think the important thing is, is that the lines of communication are flowing. It really doesn't matter how they're flowing as long as they're flowing. If somebody's helping a victim respond to emails and communications about the kids, as long as that communication is happening and it represents what the victim and survivor wants and thinks is best for the children, I don't see why a judge would have a problem with that. And again, it's just not responding is what I think potentially could cause a person to have issues with the court. Okay. Okay. And then implementing it through our family wizard or some women in our community use someone in their family or something like that to facilitate that no contact so that they can actually start to heal. Yes. Wendy and I are going to pause our conversation now, but we're going to continue it next week. In the meantime, check out her YouTube channel called Command the Courtroom. Just like being educated about abuse, it's really important for all women to be educated about divorce and custody issues. So watch a couple episodes, subscribe to her channel. She's amazing. I appreciate everything she does. If you need help with your separation or divorce situation, our divorce coach, Coach Deborah, is super helpful. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.